I ran the day before I had him. Training for the Olympics. I know a lot of people listening to me, listening to this are like, girl, you're crazy. That's impossible. Brought my kid into this world. So (laughs) I can't think of anything harder, anything more amazing. So if I can do that, there's there's nothing else that I can't do now. It'll be hard. It won't be easy. Anything is possible. Momentum is everything. Through the work. Hard work. Through training. Through competing. Through recovery. It's building momentum. Momentum helps athletes push themselves. Push them to be better. It's a journey of improvement. A journey to push through. Welcome to The Only Way Is Through, a collaboration between Under Armour and iHeartRadio. Episode 2, Natasha Hastings, Postpartum to Podium. For an athlete at the highest level, cutting out the noise is essential to focus your mind on your training. Throughout her career, Natasha Hastings has proven her fair share of doubters wrong. It's habitual. It's what drives her. Through her 12-year Olympic career, Natasha knows what it takes to commit yourself to the process. But when she found out she was pregnant, the process changed. With her sights set on her third Olympic Games, she was determined to train through the pregnancy. She'd be out there every day, adjusting her training regimen, working with her constantly changing body, so when her son arrived, she could hit the ground running toward the Olympics in Tokyo. At the end of the day, Natasha's a competitor, and this is a challenge, one that she's determined to push through. She's Natasha Hastings. It's what she does. Well, my body's definitely a lot different than it was a year ago. (laughs) I'm tired now, but it's a different kind of tired. I have a five-month-old that's not quite sleeping through the night yet, so that doesn't help, coupled with the type of training that I'm doing. I would say I'm definitely not as powerful as I was, but I've been making new PRs. Seeing those gains in the gym is definitely a confidence booster and kind of the thing where it's like now I'm just waiting for that to transfer over to the track. Like, I don't feel great, like, tomorrow I'm going to go out and run 49. I feel great from the perspective of... I have a five-month-old, it's January, I'm preparing for June and August, I'm on the right track, feel great. Our partner, Cal Fussman, sat down with Natasha at Under Armour's headquarters in Baltimore to talk about her journey. I was watching a video of you on Instagram Mm -hmm. where you put it up and then underneath in the post said, I debated before I put this up. When I was running as I was pregnant? Yeah. Yeah. Why did you debate Mm -hmm. putting it up there? Mm -hmm. A number of reasons. 
Um, and we can see the belly. <laughs> yes. Um, I, well, first and foremost, I'm very conscious of the things that I put on social media because I am aware of my reach and I'm aware of my voice. As a pregnant woman running up and down the track, that post in particular, there were a few things. Number one, it was slow as heck. <laughs> so as the competitor in me, I was like, man, do I put this out there? Like, this is vulnerable. This is like, I am probably about eight, eight, almost nine months pregnant at that time. Right. Fully pregnant, fully slow. <laughs> like, but, like you were, st- your it arms just, but were I moving was, like I you were was on. running hard. I was trying, my form was perfect. <laughs> I mean, everything that I could possibly do to make it look good, I tried. It did look good, but, <laughs> but it just looked like you weren't going. I wasn't anywhere. going anywhere. I was running in place <laughs> for sure. Then there was the bit that, you know, here I am, this eight and a half, nine months pregnant woman on the track running. And there are a lot of people that have opinions about that, that you should go sit down. You shouldn't be doing this. But then there was also the message that I've been doing this long before I got pregnant. And so long as it's healthy and my doctor says it's okay, why should I stop? So there was that message that I wanted to um, portray. But then I'm also sometimes conscious of the people who don't have a choice. So there are some women who want to continue, but maybe they're high risk and they can't. And sometimes I feel like it's almost insensitive to celebrate that I can. So I have that battle. There's so much going on. Yeah. There there are so many battles within that I have when there are certain things that I post. And particularly, you know, coming into this motherhood space, you know, I jokingly said that last year was a baby boom. I know so many people that had a baby last year. And I also know two people that um, miscarried. And so, you know, to, to reach out to those women while I'm currently carrying or just had my newborn and I was struggling with the words for them, now I'm thinking, okay, if somebody had miscarried and they're emotional about it, and now they see you running eight months pregnant, yeah, yeah, you're putting out a message that you don't even know how it's going to be interpreted exactly. by different people. So I debated putting no, up that post. Okay, <laughs> makes sense. How do you take that forward uh, to to the birth? Because you were training. Pretty close up to yeah. the birth. How close up to the birth? I ran uh, the day before I had him. The day before? The day before I had him. And I went into labor and I did not know I was in labor. I almost had him on my couch. So we go to the hospital. I still think they're going to stop my contraction and send me home. I had my son within two hours of getting to the hospital. Whoa. And there was a split second that I... Like when I realized, when the doctor told me, yeah, you're eight centimeters dilated, this baby is coming, that I lost it. But I remember having a moment where I was like, okay, you got to pull it together. You've been to the Olympics. You can do this. This is just like running a race. Breathe. Push through. I did get the epidural. I wasn't one of those super women. And what did it... What, I, I'm a guy. I don't know what it's like. What's it like when your son... Entered the world. Oh, man, it was awesome. I got to catch him. I think the doctor probably made sure he was okay and made me think that I caught him oh, coming out. I was wondering, but, how, how are you doing that? <laughs> but I caught him, brought him up. I also didn't know what I was having. I wanted to wait until birth to find out what he or she was. 
And I remember my mom telling me, like, they come out screaming. And then as soon as they put you to put the baby down on your chest, they stop crying. He did that. And then I remember him going over, taking them taking him over to the little table and he's they're weighing him. And it was like instantly like, OK, what are y'all doing? I can't take my eyes off him. It happened instantly. Remember Paul Winsper from episode one? He's Under Armour's director of athlete performance. Being able to study an elite athlete during pregnancy is a rarity. So for Paul, this was an opportunity to see the changes in the female body firsthand and provide Natasha with modifications to her training. When a female is pregnant, they're almost like superwoman. What's going on in their bodies hormonally and strength-wise and the connective tissue and there are windows of trainability that you really shouldn't miss as an athlete. This concept of postpartum to podium is really understanding there are stages that you need to go through to get back that are really, really positive. It's not a case of, I've had a baby and I've got to start from scratch. You've had a baby and there are changes in the body now that are really advantageous to athletes, hormonally, connective tissue. How do we reassess the body, reassess the movement, and then how do we take advantage of those changes? How do we take advantages of the increase in blood volume, for example? So we called it the science of she. There's the science, and then there's the things that make us human that you can never quantify. And it just gives the female athlete just such a, this emotional armor, this belief, this like, I'm going to do it. If I can do that, like, this is a walk in the park. So if we could overlay all of that objective, quantitative, scientific data with this beautiful emotional and spiritual side of things of giving birth and then understand how it can come together and how we can use that new motivation to take training to a whole new level, it's, it really is an advantage for the female athlete. Let's go back to the beginning. Okay. All right. When was the first moment you knew you were fast? I was probably about eight, seven or eight years old, gym class, field day. You know, they have the girls go against the girls, boys go against the boys. And then at the end of it, there was a race off. And I beat the boy. And what was the reaction of everybody when you beat the boy? I remember later on, my mom told me that I think it was maybe a teacher or maybe it was another parent that was like, man, she's pretty fast. And my mom kind of like giggled because at that point, no one knew that both of my parents actually ran. And my mom actually made the 84 Olympics. My dad um, came up here to the States on an athletic scholarship. So did my mom. So it was they kind of knew that, you know, okay. this might happen. But <laughs> my mom used to take me to attract me to New York called the Colgate Women's Games. I went one year. It was 1995. I was a hot mess. I had no form, no nothing. I, I That day I did not win. And introduced my mom to this guy. His name was Sean London. He says to my mom, oh, wow, I know you from when you ran in Trinidad. And I actually saw your daughter earlier, but I had no idea that that was your daughter. 
Um, And so I started training with him that week. And I think my first track meet was maybe within a month from that. That was interesting too, because when I started training, I was not the girl. Everybody else was beating me. I wasn't really doing that great in training. And then somehow we went to the first track meet and I won. And in a month, I won my first two races. You win your first two races when it counts. Mm -hmm. What's going on in your head then? Are you thinking? No, No, you're not looking at your face. I was nine. I just enjoyed winning, honestly. Like I knew I was fast. Um, I did sort of start to set the expectation of winning all the time. Um, At that point, I and I remember watching the Olympic Games, and I remember watching Gail Devers, Michael Johnson, and then that was when I realized Atlanta Atlanta, Atlanta Atlanta Olympics Olympics, ninety six, right? And that's when I realized that I want to be an Olympian one day. This is a story about motherhood. Natasha's mother, Joanne, has been a constant fixture in her life as an athlete. Supporting her, challenging her, cheering her on. Here's Joanne Hastings. From a mother's point of view, she was always, um, she just worked hard. No matter what workout you give her, she'll say, I can't do that. But she'll always do it. It wasn't just track and field. It was in her schoolwork. I've never really have to, had to say, let me see your homework. Did you do your homework? She knew at that point that, you know, this is what she wanted to do in track and field. And in order for her to do that, she had to have the grades to go with it. So she just worked hard, still works hard. <laughs> I look at her now and I'm like, oh my gosh, you just had a baby. And she trained literally up until the day before she had him. I never felt pressure from my mom. My mom was always very adamant about me enjoying what I do, even to this day. You know, after having a kid, it's still, you know, but is this what you want to do? And it's interesting because, you know, I mentioned that she made the 84 Olympics. She also had the nerve to name me after her. Natasha is my mother's middle name. So... There was a moment when I was probably like 13 or 14 where I felt like, oh, I'm getting to finish what my mom didn't finish. How did that moment come to you? Figuring out, oh, you made the 84 team. You didn't go. You had me in 86. Things were a lot different back then where, you know, the opportunities in the sport period, much less for a woman to make a living and a career out of it was a lot different than it is now. What stopped her at the time? She had to provide for her kid. Oh, man, a circle of this story. Yeah. It was a struggle, but it was a good struggle. Once again, Joanne Hastings. It was hard. I was a single parent. I mean, I I honestly believe everything happens for a reason. So it made me a better person. It made me stronger. It made me figure out how I had to just go from day to day to day and make sure she had everything she needed. And I had a good team around me. I never had that feeling of like my mom's trying to live through me. My mom is trying to achieve what she didn't achieve through me. She has just been incredibly supportive. Just whatever you want to do, I'm here for you. Did she, did you ever have a conversation with her about this? Not that part. Yeah. I think the, the toughest conversation that we had, though, was in 2012 when 
she asked me, so is this really what you want to do? Because if you don't, I mean, the sky's the limit. You can do whatever you want to do. She didn't make the team in 2012. Just the way she ran the race was like when she realized that she wasn't necessarily in the top three, she shut down. Like mentally, she was just like, this is done. And so when she came off the track, she didn't talk to anybody. She walked back to the hotel. She cried. We argued. (laughs) And um, I said, okay, you got to get it out. So get it out on me. Then we move on from there. And so she cried and she cried. And then I said, you just don't look like you want to be there. And I lied to her and I was like, no, I'm good. I got it. But she, she read that. It was year after year of just kind of slowly going down and going backwards. And then 2012 was like the epitome of like, okay, I didn't make the team at all. And that was when I had a real conversation with myself like, okay, girl, we're going back to school to be a chiropractor. What are we doing? My mom had that conversation with me. The part of that conversation that I left out while she was in the stands at the trials, she was actually sitting next to a guy who happened to be a sports psychologist. An athlete has to consider so many aspects of training. Nutrition, recovery, sleep. Mental strength often gets overlooked, but it's what keeps everything else together. Without a strong foundation, it all falls apart. Whether it's working through a demanding training cycle or an event as life-changing as a pregnancy, having the mental strength can make all the difference. Here's Joanne Hastings once more. He gave me his card. And I was like, okay, you think she needs that? And he said, you know, I've been watching your daughter run since she was a little kid and she's better than this. When I told her that you look like you don't believe you belong there, I said, look, I don't know who this person is. I haven't done any research and I don't typically do stuff like that. But I just said, there's a reason why this guy just out of the blue gave me his card. What was it that flipped it? It was your mind that... It was my mind. I remember the first conversation that we had and he asked me, you know, so when you're out there on the track, what are you thinking about? And literally everything that I told him was negative. Like, man, the last hundred is going to hurt. I can't wait for this to be over. And he was like, okay, so the first thing we're going to do is change how you talk to yourself. And the second that you have a negative thought, I want you to change it to something positive. And when I tell this story... I'm like, man, that just sounds so oversimplified. (laughs) But it was the thing that changed everything. And so I remember there was a Diamond League meet in New York City. It was cold. It was raining. And I was in lane seven. Now, that's a pretty good opening. (laughs) It was, it was cold, like, it was raining, it was and cold, I was in lane rainy seven. day. And I remember in the warm-up, I literally told myself, it's warm, it's not raining, the sun is shining in lane seven. That was what I literally repeated to myself the entire warm-up. The gun went off. I ran 50.23. That was the fastest I'd run since leaving college in 2007. Just by flipping the switch in your mind, Mm -hmm. 
That's wild. Yeah. Could your mom pick up that something had changed? Yeah. My mom was there, of course. She's always there, huh? (laughs) She said when the gun went off, I took out really fast, which is, that's just my thing. I, I run my first 200 fast. When I got to maybe about 250, she was like, she's still going. She's still going. And then when we came off the turn, that's when she was like, come on. And she lost it. What happens when you go on the track for a performance like that? You know, you always see like the moments before Mm -hmm. everybody gets in the block and that that time seems to be elongated. Oh, yeah. That's interesting because when I watch other sports and watch other track events, that's the moment that I actually like to watch because I think you can almost tell when someone's getting ready to kill it or a bomb. It's like a fighter entering the ring. Exactly. Exactly. For me, I guess I call it a hunting space. That last three minutes before the race is the longest three minutes ever. The air is so thick you could cut it with a knife. Every emotion that you could possibly feel all bottled up into one moment. And then the gun goes off and it's like just this release. So you got to go up on the podium. I got to go up on the podium this time. What did that feel like? Man... It was it was exciting, but the the four by four. I mean, it was it was redemption in itself. I had the fastest split of the Olympics. My family was there. I got to stand on the podium. I get, got to hear the national anthem played in my honor. I think all Olympic sports across the board to just hear the national anthem played in your honor is like the greatest achievement. So here's the point. You could have at that point said, you know, it's been nice. No, I was running too good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're running too good. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? Initially, I did think that I would retire at 30. And then I got to 30 and I was like, well, why did I put that limit on myself? You know, I felt good. I'm healthy. There was no reason not to, you know. So I kept going. And um, 2017 was a good year. And then I went to nationals and three people ran faster than me. (laughs) To me, I was like, okay, Natasha, you didn't run bad. You got beat today. And that happens, you know? And then there's also now a different appreciation of, you know, I have, I have a bunch of medals and I'm like, that stuff, I'm not going to let that define me. We're just going to have a blast. We're going to, we're going to just drive this forward. Yeah. And then you went and got pregnant. And then I went and got pregnant. And that was definitely not planned. (laughs) I mean, we all know how you make babies, but, you know, and it was it was a moment that it was hard for me to reconcile because I. I can say that I want wanted to be a mother just as much as I wanted Olympic gold. Um, It was just the timing of it that I had always seen myself retiring and then starting a family. Right. You're always in conflict. <laughs> I, you know, thanks for pointing that out. <laughs> I, I didn't really realize that, but but it's true. I mean, I, I always thought that I would retire and then start a family. And then when it didn't happen in that order, uh, it took a while for me to come around to. So what's going through you now when you're finding out 
I'm pregnant, but I want to have a blast and take this as far as I can go. I literally fell to the floor. You fell to the floor. And I was conflicted because, again, I want a family. I want a baby. But I also want to walk away from this on my own terms. You know, today I can tell you, I want my son to respect me. And I want my son to look at me and say, man, my mom had me at a time that she, I desperately wanted him. There was never a thought of not having him, but I was unsure if now was the right time. And no matter how this plays out, I can walk away knowing that I've given it 100%. And so I want my son to respect me. I don't want my son to respect women and understand that, you know, what I said earlier, women, we are badasses. And so today that's the answer. When I get to the trials, it might be something totally different. I don't know what I'll face between now and then. The big picture is definitely like I'm looking at it, I'm I'm feeling it, I'm dreaming it. I want it to be so badly, but I also know that to get there, I have to stay in the moment and I have to focus on the piece by piece. I have to focus on the Kegel exercises that are so annoying, but I have to do them. I got to focus on my hamstring is sore today, but I got to get treatment on my hand, you know? So I don't know. (laughs) Now I'm concerned. What does this look like for my sponsorship, my support? You know, people think that I'm not taking my job seriously because I decided to start a family. What? People would say that to you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hid my pregnancy for about five months. Of course, I told my close friends and family, but I didn't tell Under Armour until I was about five months. And at, at that point, you had no choice? I had no choice because <laughs> <laughs> I had already made the decision that I'm going to train through this. I'm going to come back for Tokyo. After a while, you can't really hide a baby bump. So now it's like, all right, Natasha, you, you got to do something here. So I finally pick up the phone and make the phone call. They were like, okay, congratulations. We're going to support you through this. About a month later, you know, all of the things started hitting the media about what other female runners were going through, dealing with being cut, being reduced, healthcare, all of this stuff. And they actually called me back and said, you know, you told us that you were nervous to share this news. But I wasn't aware of the pressure that you were under. And if that's what you were sitting there feeling, I'm sorry. I apologize. This is something that even before I got pregnant, that when I talk about being a part of a brand that makes me proud to be a part of the brand is seeing women in positions that are making decisions for women. And the fact that when I made the phone call, it was to a woman that she understood what I was going through. And that was her comment to me that, you know, I'm I'm not a professional athlete, but I remember having to tell my employer that I'm pregnant and I was deathly afraid and my husband didn't understand. And, And that's the thing that I'm even realizing in this journey that beyond the female athlete, it is a woman's problem. 
It is the American woman's problem of when do I start a family? How do I start a family? How is starting a family going to impact me if I have a career? I'm grateful that my experience was <laughs> one that I still have the support of my sponsors and I didn't, you know, the torture that I went through was self-inflicted and not <laughs> because right. of them. And it actually seems like on the other side of that, not only were they supportive, but Paul, Mikey, they, yeah. they wanted to really understand what you were going through to learn from it. Mike Watts is Paul Whisper's right-hand man. Before Natasha got pregnant, she came to the Portland facility and met with them to discuss ways she could improve her performance. Here's Paul and Mikey. So Natasha was actually one of the first athletes we had at the Performance Center in Under Armour. She came through initially and we screened her and assessed her. And at that point, we were really thinking more about some of the minutia, the detail of how something could be tweaked in order to get a faster time off the blocks. And she was amazing. I, I mean, amazing. She, you, there's a reason she's an Olympic gold medalist. She does, again, sweat the details. Tell me more. How's that going to impact? What do I do? How do I do this? She then said, okay, this is awesome, but I'm now going to bring my coach along. She came back, you know, a few weeks later with her physical coach and her track coach. She's very much about the process and understanding what she needs to do to be the best. And she makes sure that everybody in her team understands their role and how she's going to become better. And that was the conversation back then. And then all of a sudden we were asked to engage and, and help her with this postpartum and through pregnancy. I didn't know what I was up against, but Mike's wife had... I think two kids. And so he kind of walked me through, okay, these are some of the exercises that my wife did and this will help you with this. We've got to strengthen your pelvic floor. We've got to, so they, I mean, they were guys, but they definitely helped with their protocol because I mean, I started peeing myself. Nobody told me I was going to pee myself. I didn't know that the muscles change <laughs> after childbirth. I just said, I just want to be here to try and inform you. There's not a lot of information out there. And it, it's really difficult for, for a female to know what to do from what we class as an evidence-based approach. We talk very much about self-care, like how can I stretch these areas? How can I foam roll these areas? The tilting of the hips is going to start to elongate that area of the abdomen. Do some activation exercises. Do them in a, in a manner that is controlled, relevant, and correct for that stage of pregnancy because it's a, it's a beautiful part of being pregnant is seeing these changes occur. But just making sure that from a nutrition point of view, from a sleep point of view, from a movement point of view, from a training point of view, you stay as healthy as you can in order to sort of mitigate some of these circumstances so that once postpartum comes and once mother wants to get back into training, you start from a better position. You can almost hit the ground running, so to speak. I guess I knew things would be different, but I, I never put my finger on what that different would be. I'm now a nursing mom, so that makes a difference in terms of my nutrition. There have been some days where I've literally gone through the workout and by the end of it, I was like, man, I didn't eat enough. I didn't have enough fuel today. So, I mean, they, they were helpful in that, you know, beyond we're going to support you, we're going to also support you by helping you get through what this new journey is going to be. 
Now, at that point, you could have said, well, I'm look, I'm just going to have my baby. And Mm-mm. no, you couldn't do that because conflict. You, you, Why love, would I? you live in conflict. <laughs> Why would I make it that easy? <laughs> okay. So it's five months before you tell anybody. Then you go, I guess at about eight months, you go out on the track and you do that video that's on Instagram mm-hmm. that you debated putting up. And it's it's wild because you can see your arms just churning like a steam engine. Not going anywhere. <laughs> and, it, and it's like you're, what's the hockey expression, skating in sand? Mm-hmm. It is the very definition of conflict. Mm. I asked um, my mental coach to come to training one day because I felt like I wasn't grounded enough in my training. I need to make sure that I'm actually out here doing the work because I find myself, I can't stop thinking about him. And so how do you see the path toward Olympics in, they're coming up soon? Um, I'm no fool. I know I'm up against a very, very hard road. My thing is, I haven't given myself a choice. I decided this is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to see it through to the end. If that means I don't make it, I can walk away from this knowing that I gave it 100%. But if I do make it, I plan on being on the podium. So (laughs) I just... Sounds like a great conflict to me. (laughs) There we go. I didn't even do that intentionally. (laughs) That is just... It is what it is, I guess. Wow. But you you actually seemed at peace with it. It's a peaceful conflict. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the emotional maturity of just, you know, there's focus on what I have control over. And what I have control over is the effort that I give this. I, I think back to giving birth and I compared it earlier to being at the Olympics. Just, you know, in preparation for birth, I hired a doula. And my main reason for hiring a doula was, you know, being a Black woman, we face um, mortality around childbirth at higher rates than any other race. And in fact, I had a training partner that broke it down in a way that I was like, hmm. She said, you know, I'm unsure of having kids because pain is a sign is your body telling you to stop doing what you're doing because what you're doing is killing you. Pain is a sign of you're dying. Literally, to bring life into this world, we are on the brink of death. You've damn near laid your life on the line to bring life into this world. What is scarier than that? I lost it for a split second when I found out that I was in labor and I had to bring my thoughts back to remember who you are. You can do this. Everything is going to be okay. You've been to the, this is just like running another race, but it was all in how I was speaking to myself. There's so much pressure to get back to your old self. And there's so much pressure to, can I do these things? Training for the Olympics I know a lot of people listening to me, listening to this, are like, girl, you're crazy. That's impossible. I brought my kid into this world. 
So <laughs> I can't think of anything harder, anything more amazing, anything you're stronger than you even know. This has been The Only Way Is Through, a podcast collaboration between Under Armour and iHeartRadio. Join us next time to hear more stories of athletic performance and what it means to push yourself through.